0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's
1: Word. And listen, listen, God doesn't change. He doesn't change. He, do- he doesn't change with the culture. Our culture changes. And the morality of our culture changes. But God doesn't change His morality. And so even if the culture says something is right, or something is legal, God's standard of judgment is His Word, and He doesn't change that. Today, Pastor
0: Dan talks about how God and His Word remain the same throughout all time. Have you ever had a problem with something and then grown used to it? Our world is ever-changing, and we become callous to things. Pastor Dan reminds us today that although we change and our world changes, God remains the same, both His love and His Word. He isn't fickle like us. He doesn't change His mind. When He loves people, He loves them forever. And when He hates something, He's not going to change His mind about it. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: Empty religion hates genuine faith. You see that with Jesus Christ. It was the religious leaders who had an empty religion who hated Jesus Christ, who plotted to kill him and saw to his crucifixion, because Jesus had a real relationship with With the father, empty religion is threatened by genuine faith and hates genuine faith. Some of you I know come from families where there's religious people in your family. And they don't like that you're born again. (laughs) And when you bring up Jesus, they don't want to hear you talk about Jesus, even though they're religious and they go to church. They don't like you talking about Jesus. And you might think, well, what's the deal? Like, you go to church? Like, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Why is this so offensive to you? Because religious people don't like people with genuine faith. Makes them uncomfortable. Where you could speak to a stranger, if they're a brother or sister in Christ, man, it's like you guys have known each other your whole life. You know, again, we were in Texas, we talked to several people that were believers and just had great fellowship. Just in the middle of a store or at a restaurant. Just talking about the Lord. There's an instant connection there with another true believer. But there's a resistance there with somebody who's just religious. Right? And that's what he's talking about here. And what he's talking about also in verse 5 here. He's talking about the, the religious people persecuting the people with genuine faith. And they believe it pleases God. They cast you out for my name's sake. They're casting these people out in the name of God, and they think it brings glory to God. The Apostle Paul is an example of someone like this. Before his conversion, when he was Saul of Tarsus, remember he persecuted Christians. And he thought he was doing the Lord's work when he did it. He thought he was bringing glory to God. And the Lord says here, he says, those people, those religious people who are persecuting those of genuine faith, he says, they will be ashamed in the end at the judgment. Because what's Jesus going to say to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? Didn't we work miracles? Didn't we cast out people in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You who work lawlessness. Verse six, the sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Before she was at labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she. She delivered a male child who has heard such a thing, who has seen such things. Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. And here Isaiah prophesies of a day when victory will come easily to Jerusalem and she will give birth, so to speak, without pain. The city will be born again. The nation will be born again without pain. The Lord says here, who has heard of such a thing? It will be the work of God. In verse 8, again, Isaiah prophetically speaks of the nation of Israel being born in one day. And he's saying, who's ever heard of such a thing? And Israel was born politically as a nation in one day. In our generation, May 14th, 1948, that's the day Israel was born politically. She has not been born spiritually. She hasn't been born again, right? You had a physical birth and you had a spiritual birth. You were born again. Israel has been born physically as a nation. It has not been born spiritually. It has not been born again. That spiritual birth, we're told in the Bible, will take place during the great tribulation period. Uh, In Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has a vision of a valley of dry bones. And those bones come back together and skin and flesh comes on the bones. And then God breathes life into them. And God tells us in Ezekiel 37 that he's speaking of and describing the nation of Israel being brought back together as a nation And God has started to bring the nation of Israel back together physically. But hasn't yet breathed his spirit into the nation of Israel. They haven't been born spiritually yet. Only physically. That spiritual birth will come later in the great tribulation period. That's when they'll experience their spiritual birth. Verse 9 says, shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery? Says the Lord. And here the Lord says he's going to bring it to pass. He's not going to bring the nation to birth and, you know, go through the labor or whatever. And then the birth never takes place. The Lord will bring it to pass. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her. Because Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Babylonians. That you may feed and be satisfied. With the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. Does that sound familiar? Remember the hymn, It Is Well? Right? When peace like a river attendeth to my soul. I will extend peace to her. Speaking of Jerusalem like a river, Ezekiel 47 describes a river flowing from the temple during the kingdom age, when Christ is reigning on the earth, a river flowing from the temple out of Jerusalem. And it's a river of life uh, flowing all the way down to the dead sea and bringing life to all who drink from it. I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles, like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed on her sides. Shall you be carried and be dandled like on her knees as one Whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. When you shall see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and his indignation to his enemies. He says here, God's people will rejoice when they see Jerusalem flourishing and prospering again, And the reason they're going to rejoice is because that will be fulfilled during the reign of Christ and the kingdom age. And so once Jerusalem is flourishing, that means that Christ is reigning. And that's why we rejoice. Notice at the end of verse 14 again, that the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. And so there's the two groups here, his servants and his enemies. Verse 15, for behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind. It's going to be like a storm blowing through, like a hurricane, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. He's speaking about here his judgment against his enemies. For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge all flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. There's going to be a judgment against the enemies of God. Now look at verse 17. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens. And this is talking about idolatrous worship here. They would do their worship in in gardens or groves. After an idol in the midst of the garden, eating swine's flesh as part of their worship. You know, it's not condemning barbecue. <laughs> and the abomination and the mouse, they eat mice. It's part of their worship. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? <laughs> you know, my wife has a, a cookbook at home. It's a congressional cookbook. It's a collection of recipes from First ladies and members of Congress throughout our nation's history. And there is a recipe in there from like the early 1800s from a first lady for mouse pie. Delicious, right? (laughs) So they're eating mice here as part of their worship. And he says, those who are practicing this idolatry shall be consumed together, says the Lord. And so he's talking here about his judgment that's going to come at the end of the age. Great white throne judgment. And he's talking about those who practice idolatry and worship other gods will be consumed by God's judgment. Now, why does God say this of all things? Why does he bring up idolatry of all things as he's speaking to his people? The reason that God brings this up is because the children of Israel are practicing idolatry at this point. They're still worshiping Yahweh. They're still worshiping Jehovah. They're still doing their temple worship. It's empty religion. But what they've done is they have added and incorporated idolatry. And they have been deceived into thinking that this is acceptable to God.
0: You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: As long as they're still worshiping Jehovah and still keeping the feast and the sacrifices and everything, that it's okay then if they also go into these gardens and worship these other idols. And what God does here is God tells them that he will judge them for their idolatry They thought that God would accept it, that God wouldn't judge them. And God clearly tells them here, those that practice those things will be judged. And what what I'm pointing out to you is that God speaks here right into their culture of that day. Right into the morality of their day. This is something that they were doing as a culture, as a people, as a nation. And it was something that was accepted culturally. It was normalized. Culturally, and God says, I'm going to judge that behavior. And listen, listen, God doesn't change. He doesn't change. He he doesn't change with the culture. Our culture changes. And the morality of our culture changes. But God doesn't change his morality. And so even if the culture says something is right or something is Legal. God's standard of judgment is his word. And he doesn't change that. And so here he speaks right into his culture, that culture, to say these things that you're doing that you think are acceptable, I'm going to judge you for those things. Verse 18, he says, for I know their works and their thoughts, it shall be. That I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. Remember that wonderful verse in Revelation chapter five, where it talks about people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation shall be gathered around the throne of God in heaven and worship him. And here we see the Lord says, I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and they shall see my glory I will set a sign among them and those among them who escape. I will send to the nations to Tarshish and Pool and Lud, who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan to the coastlands afar off who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles here. God I love verse 19. God says that he's going to send messengers to all the nations. Messengers who will declare what he's done and declare his glory to them. And then in the New Testament, what do you see Jesus do? He gives the Great Commission to us and he tells his disciples to go to all the nations and preach the gospel. Go to all the nations and tell those nations what God has done for them by sending his son to die on the cross so that they could be forgiven. So that they could be reconciled to God. And you have missionaries going out all over the world, throughout the church age, even today, who are going to people who've never heard of God, who've never heard of His glory, who've never heard the story of what His Son has done. And they're going and declaring this good news to the nations. And it's going to continue on through the church age. We're told in the Bible it's going to continue on in the great tribulation, where there's going to, you know, it talks about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, are going to be missionaries all over the world and, and declaring what God has done. And it talks about in Revelation how there'll be angels in the heavens declaring the everlasting gospel so that everyone on the earth will hear the good news of what God has done for them. And you see it all the way back here in Isaiah, this promise where God's going to go. and He's going to send out people to the nations to declare his glory among the Gentiles. Verse 20. Here's what's going to happen as a result. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all the nations on horses and in chariots and in uh, litters on mules and on camels to my holy mountain. Jerusalem says the Lord as the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord God. And I will also take some of them for priests and Levites says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. This is describing the kingdom age. When all the nations, people from all over the world are going to go up to Jerusalem To worship Jesus Christ and to hear him teach and share the word. And he talks about here, verse 23, that it will come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me. You know, from from one Sabbath to the next Sabbath. To put it in our terminology, from one Sunday to the next Sunday. It's no longer going to be, you know, just two hours on a Sunday Sunday an hour or two on a Thursday, and then you've got the craziness of your week all the other times, you know, filling the other 167 hours of your week or whatever it is, right? In the kingdom age, you're just going to worship straight through one Sabbath day to the next. Have you ever been to a retreat, like a Christian retreat, you know, where you can go and you can get away from your normal responsibilities, and if you go off somewhere to a retreat center of some kind, You know, it's just Bible study and worship and fellowship and eating. And that's it. Right. And sometimes uh, when you go to those kinds of retreats, you know, you leave and you don't want to leave. You don't want, you know, like the world's waiting for you. You know, it's kind of like like the disciples when they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus transfigured. Peter wanted to just build a tabernacle right there and stay. But when they came back down the mountain, remember what greeted him at the bottom of the mountain? Demon possessed kid. Right, like the right back into the whole ministry thing. And that's how life can be. You go off to this retreat and, you know, as soon as I drive off the campus of this retreat center, the world is waiting for me out there and I got to start dealing with the world again. I want to stay here longer in the kingdom age. That's what it's going to be the whole time. That retreat is just a little taste of the kingdom age. And when the kingdom age is just going to be worshiping Jesus from Sabbath day to to Sabbath day, it's just this ongoing Glorious time that we're going to have. So finally, verse 24. And they shall go forth and look. So it's talking about the kingdom age here. It's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men. Who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die. And their fire is not quenched. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And here he's talking about. The judgment. And Jesus quotes these verses in the New Testament uh, when he describes hell. I'll read them to you. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell and to the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So Jesus quotes these verses when he's describing hell Uh, and he talks about basically dealing with your sin in a very dramatic way so that you don't enter hell. You know, doing what is necessary to escape the fire and torment of hell. And hell is described in the Bible as something that is eternal. It's eternal punishment, it's eternal suffering. It's it's described as a real place, just as heaven is described as a real place. And he talks about here kind of this choice that we can make. We can choose to put our faith in Christ, have our sins forgiven and escape, or we can choose not to. And then there's consequences to every choice. You know, one commentary I read said it's either worship or the worm. (laughs) That was a funny way of putting it. But thanks be to God, he provides a way for us to escape through the cross, and through Jesus
2: Christ. Amen.
0: We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse by verse, chapter by chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth.
2: I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crack.